0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Beyond Grit with me, Robert Young. Throughout your week and this day, take a moment to think about the men and women that are serving this country. I know that it's been a long time. They've been gone for a long time. We've been fighting this war for a long time. And it's sad that it takes such a tragedy to remember these people and what they're doing. Um, it was a senseless act of violence killed 13 service personnel men and women, husbands, sons, daughters, moms, dads. So, take a minute to if you're religious, say a prayer for them and their family and the ones that are still there serving. And if you're not, give them some thought. Put some thought into it and, you know, just know that they're still there serving and protecting the people. Um, outside of our country. So this week I have George Cuddy. Um, He is a veteran and he set up the Cuddy Family Foundation for Veterans. And his thing and his drive is to eradicate the homelessness in our veterans today. Um, And he doesn't just want to give them things, he wants to give them opportunities. He wants to give them places to shower, to bathe, to work out, to learn how to adjust and get back into society and someplace to have a roof over their head. So, you know, we're very fortunate to live in this country. We're very fortunate when we go home and we have clean clothes and a nice place to live. Not everybody has that. Um, George is, this is in its infancy and, you know, listen to it. And if there's any way that you can help him and his foundation, um, it would be very welcomed. So sit back, enjoy, um, this opportunity to listen to George Cuddy of the Cuddy Family Foundation. Take care. so today i'm sitting here um on a zoom i'm sitting i think george is standing with george Cuddy, and george is the founder of the Cuddy family foundation for veterans which we are going to talk about um on this podcast but uh george hey i appreciate you sitting down with me and uh and chatting this afternoon
1: it's great to be here I, i appreciate your time and uh yeah, so looking forward to my second podcast interview in two days—the first nice. two of my life. So I'm very,
0: I mean, I'm very You're popular. pro. You're yeah, a very pro popular now. now.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, thank so, you. Robert. I appreciate it.
0: So you do, you do Murph every Monday, or you? Try. Yes.
1: Well, yeah. I oh boy, I'm 55. Yep. Okay, and I've I've been athletic most of my life, and I used to be a runner of some average renown, but I. Six weeks ago I started doing the Murph every Monday. I think six weeks ago was Murph, the Murph Challenge actually, or whatever weekend that was. So I did it and I was like, you know what? I think I'm gonna start doing this every week. And I've completed it four out of the six weeks. I and mean, okay. some some Mondays I'm just I'm just too dead to do it. And and uh truth be told, I do use at some point a band for assist with the pull ups because okay. 20 sets of five with the yeah. 20 pound pack is just way too much for me but the toughest thing for me is the squats actually the 300 squats I do I do that five ten fifteen um yeah 20 sets of that for the yeah. pull-ups push-ups and and squats and the squats are the hardest thing for me but yeah I so I thought it was awesome that I was <laughs> doing that but then a friend of mine in Baton Rouge sent me this link of this guy who's doing a Murph every day this year oh. so and he's around my age so yeah I'm not I'm not that, that special is there was somebody amazing- else
0: that I think I know
1: they're awesome yeah that was
0: doing that every day so if if you don't know what a murph the murph is um murph is a hero wad and it's a crossfit workout and what you do it's a mile run then you come back and it's a hundred um push-ups pull or pull ups, ups. 100 pull-ups uh 200 push-ups and 300 squats and you can do it if you did it the the RX way, I guess, would be you do those a hundred in a row, two hundred in oh a row, my and three. God, And yeah, I, don't, I, I don't, always break I don't do it up it that way. No. <laughs> and, and then to boot, it's a hundred or or it's a mile run after you do all that. Um, and another thing, you can wear a vest, like a thirty pound vest, I believe.
1: Yeah, and I use I use a twenty pound vest. Yeah, I mean, I as tough as I. I portray myself i'm sorry i just i can't <laughs> i can't do it The 30 pounds back with it but it's awesome it's really you know what's funny about it is you feel so good afterwards and the whole time you're like using mike murphy's name in vain but then you start recognizing you know the sacrifice he made for our country and yeah. for and for his buddies and you're just like i can i can get through this
0: yeah you know? Well, that that's one of the big things with these CrossFit workouts and hero wads and the hero wads are dedicated to people that have lost their lives, whether it be in the military, um, fire, uh, police type of first responder that has lost their life. They will build a workout and dedicate it to them. And the workouts are extremely difficult, but as you're going through them, that's what you're thinking. You're like, this is nothing compared to what these men and women went through To get a a workout named after them, so you it really it really motivates you. Yeah, Yeah. I mean it really
1: fires you up. And I just, I mean, I I got to tell you, I mean, I've done a lot of marathons and bike rides and soccer and all that. I just I don't see how someone could do that 365 days in a row. I don't I
0: don't get it. (laughs) It's awesome. Good for him. Or those people that run marathons and they go from city to city to city and they just run continuous marathons. They're they're uber elite. Yeah, athletes, different level. Very, very much so. So, what you've got going on right now, you're building a foundation, and like I said, it's the Cuddy Family Foundation. Um, tell us about this foundation and and what you're doing and and who you're helping with this.
1: Well, so there's there's some factors that led into the formation of the foundation that developed over almost a decade or several years of, of my research into mental health and homelessness and it all kind of synthesized last year during the initial months of downtime we had during the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. As we, as we spoke um, before we started recording, like we, we all had a decision to make, whether we were going to act or whether we were going to you know, surrender or whether we are going to hide, whether we are going to continue to live our lives or how, you know, it gave us time though to, to, to formulate how we want to live the rest of our lives. Yep. And and as you know, in, in major cities, homelessness is is out of control, especially in the you know, Pacific Northwest, California, Austin, uh, and New Orleans, especially. And I, spending so much time in New Orleans now since I moved back to Louisiana, there is almost a a one to one ratio. And this is just eyeballing it, but a one to one ratio between tents and empty buildings. Okay, and it wouldn't take. And some of these buildings are you know, 14, 15 stories. It wouldn't take more than 10 or $15 million for the city to turn it into this dormitory, right? Yep. And bring in a lot of people off the streets. Now, are there certain people who don't want to live in it? Yes. Are there certain people who are too far gone to accept the services? Yes. But there's still a large percentage who could use something if it was fit for them. So I started looking at where the gaps were in homelessness. Like, what are the, what are the gaps between living on the street and living in a homeless shelter. Mm -hmm. Well, there's several. If you can't afford a gym, there's no place to shower. If you can't get mail, it's very hard to communicate with the VA or other service organizations. If you don't have a phone or internet service, it's almost impossible to communicate. Um, You aren't receiving vitamins and nutrients. You aren't getting sunscreen for your face and your arms you know the exposure I, I i did a test as a homeless person in new orleans in march for two weeks mm-hmm. i lived in a tent under an underpass i slept in my car for a week and i always think about those companies that you know donate shoes and socks and i used to think it was kind of ridiculous but the fact is just, it is the most required need because you're on your feet so much and you can't just be sedentary all day and you're moving around and you're stepping on uneven streets and and it's, it really does wear down your feet. It's, it's yeah. like running a marathon. So, so I started looking at those gaps and I kind of came up with this idea with, and to use a, you know, like a term like Jiffy Loop, it's kind of like a Jiffy Loop for humans, uh-huh. a place where people who are indigent can go and shower and wash clothes and get a workout with a trainer who's volunteering, volunteering his or her time, get a haircut, have a free store where donated goods are available, talk to a dietician who's volunteering their time, maybe a graduate student who's doing some sort of report, and can set them on a path where once a week they can do this overhaul. Uh-huh. And and most importantly, which I didn't come up with, but a friend recommended a place to receive mail, a place to use the internet that's not the library, and perhaps other programs where other groups can come in and help as well. Now, not a handout, right? Also an employment center, which is really big. That's what we started adding job listings on our website as well. So it's 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 not doing too much but it's it's something that just fills a gap that could help 10 people 50 people i don't know i don't know the numbers yet but that was the original thought now our focus is that and employment and then long term we'd love to you know be able to raise enough money someday to have a facility that is not a shelter but a transition home place you know home center where people who want to, whether they're veterans or not or in peril can come for you know, a step up and assistance, whatever. So this this all kind of came to mind during the, the pandemic. And then at the start of this year, I said, I'm doing this, I'm making it happen. We have an amazing board, we have an amazing group of officers and, and more importantly, a lot of people like Leah like Goldstein who introduced mm-hmm. us, who were involved in projects to help the foundation grow. So it's really, it's, uh, it's a lot of work and it's, um, you know, we have a long way to go, but we have a good start.
0: How has the city been? Have they been receptive of what you're trying well, to do? or New
1: Orleans, so I, I, I split time now between business-wise for, between Shreveport and New Orleans, back and forth. Um, we're starting to do some outreach stuff in Shreveport. New Orleans is a tough nut to crack mm-hmm. because it is pulled in so many directions because of the lack of industry, the crime, um, The issues with the proliferation of drugs and substance abuse. The VA Center in New Orleans is fantastic. That hospital is amazing, but they're stretched to the limit. Okay. So I my interactions with the city thus far. I mean, I have all the licenses. We're we're not a 501c3 yet. The IRS is obviously slower during COVID. We're almost approved, but we have everything else. We have our business license, our Paris license, our tax ID number, everything, every box is checked. Um, I have had outreach with some city council members there. They, my impression, whether it's right or wrong is this, they want private entities to succeed first before they piggyback on.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: They're, they're not, I can't go to the city council of New Orleans and say, Hey, here's my Pollyanna plan to make everything better and rosy for, you know, homeless people in New Orleans, whether they're veterans or not, because they're not going to buy off on that. Right. Yeah. But they will buy off. If five or ten organizations like ours get together, make a difference, and then they'll throw, you know, money toward it. That's my and that's the way it works. Pretty much any place it seems.
0: I was reading a book, um, "What the Dog Saw" by Malcolm Gladwell, and they did. He did a story, and it was on um, homelessness and the uh, what it costs the system for one person, right, to be to be homeless. And what he said, um, and what the studies show that homelessness for the majority is not a long-term thing there's you go through periods in your life and you're homeless and you move through but then there's a large population that that is they're they're never going to not be homeless and between um hospital visits and and moving them into dis- different facilities and mostly it's hospitals and the paramedics running on them. It's, um, the police arresting them and stuff like that, that they could take <clears throat> these individuals and provide care for them, just like you're doing. And, and I know that you had talked about, um, providing a facility like a, a, a motel that's vacant motel. Plenty of them, yeah. Yeah, you can. They can have their space there, and the space comes with rules. Like everybody has rules, correct? correct. And to help them, one with care, and two provide direction. You know, a lot of people don't have direction. Yes. Um, they're they're in need. They're they're hurting, but they don't have somebody to to help them and to guide them where they're supposed to go. Um, and then once they did that, it cut the cost down tremendously right. for these individuals. And, I, and cost,
1: you know, cost benefit analysis is always the actuarial problem with uh, gains in terms of modern day mental health care and efforts to combat homelessness. If, if I could, uh, if you wouldn't mind for a minute or two, I'd like to kind of walk you through mm-hmm. um, how this epi- epidemic occurred, both in mental health issues and homelessness. So so as we as we mentioned again before we start recording uh, for the benefit of our amazing audience. Um, so in the 50s 70 years ago the population was about half of what it is now and there were 500,000 beds available for mental health patients intake and civil commitment, okay? And civil commitment was not considered a societal sin. It was an accepted practice because that person who has been committed and had been evaluated, um, was getting care. And obviously, some places, there were nightmare places. I can every industry, those problems. I get it. But mm-hmm. for the most part, that person was no longer a danger to his or herself, or to society, or to their families, or their communities, or to their neighbors. They were in an institution. They were receiving treatment, food, care, classes, whatever. So that was our choice as a society, to spend that money and commit people or take care of people at a very large percentage of our overall population. So what happened next? Well, in the 60s, the philosophies of psychiatric care in this country changed and university professors and studies were done, paid for by big pharma, okay? And the emphasis went to this, instead of committing people to mental institutions or to homes that, a taxpayer expense what we're going to do is we're going to do outpatient treatment with medication and we're going to evaluate people in their teens and 20s and we're going to have customers for 50 and 60 and 70 years using our medications mm-hmm. okay so all of these papers and all these studies were done by university professors and, and psychiatric uh, uh physicians nationwide worldwide really financed by the big pharma companies now this happens in the 60s there's a obviously there's a liberalizing of american cities as well there's there's anti-war moons. so things are going there's cultural and society, societal changes going on and that was kind of preyed upon by big pharma because they said how can we commit these people how can we make people live in a home their lives we can we have this pill they can take three times a day That costs x dollars that mm-hmm. they've extrapolated out for for decades so we hit the 70s right watergate the end of vietnam um ford takes over We have a terrible recession, we have terrible inflation, we have an oil embargo, we have the hostage crisis, and states nationwide are voting on propositions to lower property taxes, specifically Proposition 13 led by Howard Jarvis in California. So the states, when the the property taxes were frozen by these propositions or lowered substantially, the first budgetary line item the states cut was for mental health care. So state hospitals that you used to see along the highways out in the country or wherever, Started closing down. They couldn't afford the staffs. They couldn't afford uh, the upkeep. They couldn't afford the patients there. So that was cut. We roll into the 80s. The population is starting to explode. Reagan comes in, cuts 25 percent from the Health and Human Services budget. Um, we have a greater a stratification with the Wall Street boom coming between the upper echelons of wealth and the lower. Population is growing. Less mental health facilities. Now we roll into 90s and and, and 2000s, we have veterans from the Gulf War, we have veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan, okay, who are getting out of the service and having problems with the VA or having problems with depression or PTSD. It's a perfect storm. The population explodes, less money is spent on mental health, big pharma takes over. There are 50,000 beds now for a population of 330 million or so instead of 500,000 beds as there were before seventy years ago. And our jails are on the weekends, as you mentioned, are, are in san asylums. Mm-hmm. I talked to a, a police officer in New Orleans, a 20 year veteran who told me they basically arrest people on Thursdays. They give medication when a convention comes to town, you know, pre-COVID, whatever, and then they, they let them out on Monday and Tuesday. Yeah. So, so it is, it's very sad. The, again, it was a perfect storm of all these elements that, that came together to synthesize. But it's very sad that we as a society, and by the way, I'm not Mr. Mr. Mother Teresa or anything. Like I'm, I understand people have to pull themselves up with grit from yep. the bootstraps and get out their asses and work. I get it. But some people need some help, right. right? And as our population has doubled in 70 years, that doubles and triples the number of mental health possibilities, right, with other influences and that. So what have we had in the last 30 years? Mass shootings, mass homelessness, Okay. Drug companies reaping billions and billions of profits, and nowhere for these people to go. So, I'm not a mental health care professional. I don't have a PhD in psychology or psychiatry, but a pig's a pig, right? I can I can recognize a problem.
0: Yeah, I, I just don't understand. You know how it it has grown, and the problem has it seems to have exploded within the past five years, and where you see the tent cities coming up all over the place. You go down to, you go to California down, you know, Santa Monica, right? It, with tents all over the place. Um, here in Charlotte, we had a huge tent city of, of people and the homeless. And when I came here to Charlotte in uh, 2011, it wasn't like that. And you can kind of see it growing and growing. And, and what's the answer or what's, what's causing that? You yeah, I,
1: I, I think um, you know it's the economical factors probably take precedence in terms of the automation of society, the um, offshore, uh, cheaper employment, companies moving jobs overseas. Now that's a that that's a political approach. Mm-hmm. Um, I I look at this more from a humanistic approach, especially especially where it pertains to veterans. And, uh, and thanks, by the way, for for allowing me to to talk straight for 20 minutes I scene. But um, <laughs> I apologize for taking up your airspace. But, no, but what, what's, what's an interesting, and this is something I've come upon recently. Um, there's a psychological component to veterans and homelessness that never really gets addressed uh, in the media or in any publications that I've come upon. And it's, it's something I, I chatted with another uh, Marine yesterday. I'm a Marine veteran. Um, and it's that when you go when you volunteer to serve, and I don't care if you're a force recon the Marines, a Navy SEAL, Air Force Pararescue, a Green Beret, a Ranger, whatever, Coast Guard, a cook in the Navy, I don't care. Mm-hmm. You are making a conscious decision to serve your country, to better your life, whatever the, the circumstances were that made you volunteer to serve your country and to improve your life. There's a component, a psychological component that occurs when you. Finish boot camp when you finish OCS when you finish a technical school when you finish advanced infantry training whatever paratrooper school um, it's that you can take it you know like you have the grit to take it mm-hmm. and that's fine for us in our daily lives it's fine professionally it's fine at the gym doing the Murph at this age every Monday like, that's fine but if you have conditions in your life that leads you on an itinerant path or a path to being uh, indigent as a homeless person, out of your car first, out of a tent, on the ground next. Mm-hmm. There's a psychological element as a veteran where you say, you know, I can take this. This isn't that bad. When it actually is bad compared to, I don't want to say necessarily societal norm, because I could live in a tent the rest of my life if I if I had to, I could. Mm-hmm. But there's also that element of I can take it. It's not that bad. When in fact, Robert, it, it is bad. It's
0: bad. You know? Yeah.
1: Because and you let things go because you think you can hack it. And that for veterans, I think, is very prevalent, you know, and it's very sad. And that that kind of cycle is something that I certainly can't break with any expertise I might possess to whatever limited degree, but but I really think professionals should start honing in on that. Yeah. Because it's it seems like uh something that is compatible.
0: Yeah. So you're I mean, this organization is young. It's oh yeah. It's a baby. And how has even when you've gone outside and gone to private companies and talked to them, how are they receptive to it? Or do it's
1: everything I get so far is well. When you're ready, you know. Mm-hmm. When you're ready to do something first, then come back, and that's fine. Yeah. I get it. the The problem is, if you any simple internet search, you're going to find thousands of foundations that have been set up to help veterans and others. Mm -hmm. Some are great. Some aren't so great. So I don't want to say we're in competition with them or other foundations for donation dollars or whatever. I actually don't give a damn about Mm -hmm. what other people are doing. What I, what I want to focus on is are the things that we can control in our organization, stick to our mission, deviate if we have to, make changes and be be fluid as we go, think on the fly and do whatever is best to accomplish the goals we have to employ veterans, to create a a Jiffy Lube type facility for human beings and to eventually have, like I said, an old hotel or whatever can be converted into a residential facility. That's all we can control. Um, I'm not concerned about corporate partners. I'm not Mm -hmm. concerned about um, city approval or city, funding. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned about us doing it on our own. And then yeah. basically saying, Oh, you want to help us? Oh, you know, three years ago, kind of out of spite, you know, like, yeah, oh, you know, you want to help us? You didn't talk to us three years ago. And now you want to jump on the bandwagon? Yeah, we get it. Like, and that's, that sort of empowerment is what I'd like to. And that's what I feel from our board members and our, our, our officers, but that's, that spirit of empowerment is what I want to translate to the people we help. Okay. You know, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. So you lived in, and you lived on the streets for two weeks—a week in yeah. your car, and a week in a tent. And I wrote,
1: just I, I wrote about it on our website. Yep. And frankly, yep. it wasn't. And I'm sorry to cut you off. My idea of of how I was doing it was not a very fair comparison to actually being homeless.
0: Yeah, right?
1: truthfully, because I have a car that I can sleep in. Yeah, you know, and I can go to the gym to shower, and, you know. I have, I have my iPhone. I have my laptop. I have, I have money, right? Yeah. I, I can go to whatever restaurant. And, and another thing, and I'm sorry to cut you off. The other That's all right. Let me say this real quick. Not, I mean, I'm not, I get it. I'm not George Clooney or Brad Pitt, but if I shower at the gym and put on a golf shirt, some golf shorts and some deck shoes, I can walk into any hotel in New Orleans and use the bathroom. Right. Right. Because I'm clean and presentable. I don't look like I've been in the sun for 400 days straight. I don't look like i i don't smell bad Well, i mean relative i don't i don't smell like a wino right i don't i'm not shaking from delirium trenums i'm in those two weeks and going to Finding a public bathroom oh my god that's that's yeah. something else okay i mean i urinated in a you know bottle in my car many nights you know because i did not want to i wanted to have respect for the neighbors i don't on the streets i parked on yeah i don't want to i don't want to urinate in someone's house from someone's house but but i have the ability at this age and and just the way I present myself, again, I'm not wearing like a Brooks Brothers suit, but I'm, I'm, I can walk into any hotel lobby in New Orleans and use the restroom. Yeah. These guys can't. Can't. And they wouldn't also. Yeah. Did you,
0: did you talk to them? Did you, did, did, how are they? I mean, what did they want? What did you get a sense?
1: Well, the, the first night I set my tent up was not good. Yeah. Because, I stuck out. Right. I mean, I had a nice REI tent. I had decent clothes on. I had good hiking shoes on. I had a clean backpack. I was clean. I was, my clothes yeah. were clean. You know, even though I, I picked out like my radiest t-shirts and gym shorts, whatever, I was still clean. I had yeah. the appearance of someone who's clean. I, I, I felt immediately that I stuck out and I was questioned by several people. What are you doing here? What, why are you here? Yeah. You know, are you undercover? Are you a, uh, are you a cop or you a fed whatever it was um, the if i were to if i were to pick one term to describe the majority of people i met whether they were male female gay straight black white whatever mm-hmm. was lo- lonely yeah lonely um i i got the impression without delving too much that these were people who may have not only been abandoned by society but their families or relationships at some point along the way, whether mental health issues were involved or not. And it really was an emotional thing for me to connect with some of them. And I didn't talk to a thousand people, right? I talked to Mm -hmm. seven or eight. Um I didn't want to I didn't want to come in like the music band, you know, with a band and and
0: blowing the horn. Like I wanted to
1: fit in. But I I didn't fit in. Yeah. You know, I couldn't I couldn't fit in. Because also my psychology was okay. Well, I'm gonna do this for a week, you know.
0: Yeah, and then, just, yeah, were then they, to, and the people that you were around, are they like long term out there? Oh, yeah, there's one okay. guy who's been there
1: 10 uh, a decade. Wow, and wow. I asked him, I said, and I said, it's, it's interesting, my uh, being a little bit naive about this, um, you know, even as a long time hiker and camper i said i asked him i said well you know i guess sometimes it gets cold you know i've lived in boston most of my adult life so i, I love the cold so it yeah. doesn't affect me really but, I, but in terms of exposure every night i said well, you know sometimes in new orleans it gets cold in the winter he goes oh no, no 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 we love the cold we love it when it's cold it's trying to stay cool when it's hot yeah uh, and i never thought of that right yeah you never think of that but the reality is the dehydration and the exposure to the the sun and the heat is much more debilitating than you know a few nights of, of sub zero weather sub freezing weather.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it was they can kind of so, cover up and blankets and stuff like that. Guy, much as they me. have.
1: Right. And he said, he's like you can always find a way to get warm. It's very hard to find a way to get cool. Especially wow. at night when it's ninety degrees and hundred percent humidity there. Yeah you know, during the summer at night. So ugh. but yeah it was very it was very uh very sad and very lonely.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um because and this is another dynamic that I learned. So, when we pass someone who's panhandling at an intersection or an off ramp for a freeway, mm-hmm. um, and then we come back six hours later and they're still there, right? And we think, God, how has this person been here? Well, Robert, there's nothing else to do. So, you're, you're like the way we equate time in our lives, you as a professional, me as a professional, we have our note cards that we have it on our phone. Okay. From eight to nine, I'm at the gym Then I shower, then I go get a bite. To eat, then I have this meeting I have a podcast interview at two central time, like whatever, like we have a regimented, uh, evaluation of, of what a 24 hour period looks like in our lives every day. Pretty yeah. much. There is no time equilibrium for the majority of homeless people. It doesn't matter if I sit out right here for four hours or I sit right here for 10 hours, I don't have any place to be. Yeah. So it makes sense for me. And this is another, Oh, one more thing. Sorry. So the, the scariest time and I, I friends were like, well, aren't you worried at night? Aren't you worried in your tent at night? I mean, I'm, I'm not really worried about anyone, but that's another story, but like, I, I'm not, the officer told me the worst time in New Orleans is between 3. PM and 7. PM. I said, well, sir, sir, why is that? Goes, yeah. Well, because people panhandle from 9 AM to two or three, and they make 30 or 40 bucks and they go buy their dope and they get all messed yeah. up. And then there's zombies in the afternoon, then they sleep all night. And that is for the drug addicts. That is the repetitive cycle. Panhandle, buy your fix, get messed up for several hours, pass out, do it again. Mm. That's why they sit out there all day. Now, again, not everyone's a drug okay. abuser, not everyone's a drunk. I get it. Um, there's a wide array of people living in cars, people living in tents, people under uh, overpasses, people who are, have mental health issues, people who are drug abusers, people who are alcoholics. So you have all these subsets, right? That aren't equal within this realm of homelessness. And God, where do you even start?
0: You know? Yeah. That's, I don't that's... know. One step, one bite at a time. And that's what bite. we're trying to do. Yeah. Right? And it seems like it needs to be, you know, I, I like what you're trying to do. And it's, a, it's hands-on and you're not just providing, you know, a handout, right? So you're, you're, you're trying to provide something that can better them. And if they want to move on and if they want to get a job and if they want to do this, well, like you were talking about, you know, a barber, you got to look presentable, clean. You got to be clean, take care of yourself. You got to be able to take care of yourself to make that next step. Correct. Getting back, especially if, if you've got, you know, families or friends that have just given up on you, given up on you um, who do you have to turn to? Yeah. It's, um, you
1: know. it's actually funny. I had a good lesson uh, two weeks ago. So it's, you know, Louisiana, as you know, is a, is a sweat bed. I mean, you go mm-hmm. outside, you're sweating. It's during the summer. And, uh, I went for, I don't run anymore. I had a long story, but I, I like to go on walks. I go on long walks. I put my headphones on. I listen to music. It's my meditation, right? Um, that's my transcendental meditation. And I'm out on this road in Louisiana two weeks ago, and it is a thousand degrees. It's a thousand percent humidity. I have my shirt off, I have my bottle of water and this minivan pulls up alongside me, okay? I look over and it slows down and it's this lady and she's like, of course, I'm I'm Mr. Hyperbole, but she's like 900 years old, right? Uh-huh. And she rolls down the window, she's like, sir, sir. And I, I take out my headphones, and I go, yes, ma'am. I go, do you need directions? And she goes, she goes, no. She said, are you are you hungry? Would you like a sandwich? Uh, and I, it, I was like, "Excuse me." She goes, "I have I have my leftovers from brunch right here. If you'd like it, if you're hungry." She thought I was like a bump, uh, right? Yeah. She said, like who else would be walking in this weather in yeah. Louisiana with my yeah. shirt off? You're like what crazy person would be out here on this road? And I was like, "Oh," I said, "No, ma'am." I go. I'm like, I'm fine. I, I'm doing this by choice. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, she goes, oh, I, I just, I've never seen anyone walk out of here. I'm yeah, like, no, oh believe n- but, usually we don't. But so, so, but I told her, I said, I said, you know, that's so sweet of you. You know, give that to someone else. If you see someone in need, please, I go, I'm, I'm fine. Binet, I don't, you know, I need to lose a few pounds. But so, <laughs> so what's funny though, is she pulls away. And again, she was old and I'm thinking like, God, I mean, what if, and this is going to sound cheesy as, as all hell, Robert, but what if everyone could just help one person? Yeah. Okay. Simple math, right? Simple equation. One yeah. person helps one other person to whatever degree they can. Yep. Not get them a suite at the Plaza Hotel, but to whatever degree someone can help one other person. This lady pulled up and thought I was a bum. All right. And this, I was kind of like, well, what do I look like to people? But like she, but her act of kindness, her attempt at an act of kindness, right? Yeah. Um, And again, I'm not trying to be too altruistic or Pollyannish, but if people could do that, just one, just help one person. I've had, trust me, when you talk about giving up on, I have given my close friends, um, the mutual friend who introduced Leah and I, um, Leah Goldstein, who's running the Boston Marathon 2022 on our behalf, who introduced the two of us. Um, her, our mutual friend, who was I served with the Marine Corps, has saved my butt. 20 times in my life, if not more. Yeah. When I've been down and when I've been in need of help to whatever degree it was, no questions asked. Right. And hopefully I've been able to do that some other people, but I've given people the opportunity to give up on me. And other people in the past have stuck by me for some reason. Right. Yeah. So when you're in that desperate spot, when you're depressed, when you have all these elements affecting you and there's no one there, that's why I go back to that loneliness. It's, it's, that's the biggest issue. Yeah. Yeah, it's really,
0: it's something else. Well, so tell me about you were talking about the Boston Marathon. So you guys have a couple athletes, um, one for the twenty twenty one marathon, and and Leah um, for the twenty twenty two. Correct. And how did you get involved with that? How did you guys? Uh, well, yeah, what's so, going on with that? Okay.
1: So a long time ago, when I first moved to Boston in the early two thousands. I was introduced to a person, an older gentleman who was married to an architect in Boston, a very nice couple, and he was a legend in the rowing and running communities, amateur sports in Boston. So he's long associations with the Cambridge Boat Club, and long associations with the Boston Athletic Association, and for whatever reason, he kind of took me under his wing as a son he never had. You know, I got involved with these rowing events when I was never rower in my life, but I, you know, very bad but I yeah. learned okay it's hard isn't it and doing rowing or, you know, is hard right oh it's the toughest thing you ever do I've thrown up I've thrown up before after work after workouts I've yeah. thrown
0: I vomited my wife okay. and I so my wife was a rower not to get off subject but oh, please, my wife please. was a rower in college she did it for a semester their boathouse burnt down and she was like okay I'm out oh wow and yeah and she picked it up about I don't know six years ago because we have a, a rowing club here, Belmont um, Rowing Club, and they uh, they started rowing out there. Okay. She started rowing, and she was rowing. She likes to row in fours or eights. Okay, and so I I would go out there and watch, and then I started rowing like three years ago, um, and then we we ended up. So my wife and I can usually do ninety nine percent of the things together and we're good and we're a good team we tried um sculling just her and i right right and a a double and uh no, no we we kept the boat (laughs) for a while and
1: uh uh, well i so this this gentleman ken lynch um, uh was a legend in boston he got me involved with the crash bees the world indoor rowing championships yeah on the earth on the concept too so i know all the people at concept too Okay. I ended up being on the board of directors for the crash bees, which is, which is named is called crash B, but it stands for Charles river, all-star Hasbins. And it started in 1979 or 80, when we didn't go to the Russia, the Moscow Olympics, okay. so all the all the rowers who were from the Boston boathouses and from colleges, whatever, got together. And the, the original erg from the dry family was just like this big wheel, you know, and they did like five miles and it was for a keg of beer. And now every, you know, January, February in Boston, to get 2,500 competitors from all over the world to come to Boston for the World Indoor Rowing Championships, which is is a 2K on the erg, and they have all age divisions and whatever. And so I got involved in that. Never having rowed before, just being yeah. a you know above average or average athlete. And I have I've probably vomited 20 times after erg workouts like back in the day. This is you know, 15, yeah. 16 years ago. But he anyway, this gentleman was also on the. Board of directors for the BAA, the Boston Athletic Association. I was really into running in those days. Um, I was not a good marathoner. I was pretty good at the half and, you know, like t- 10 miles and 10 Ks and five miles. Uh-huh. Half marathon was perfect for me, but marathon was just to finish it, you know. And so one day I, I run into Ken and he's like, hey, do you want to be a member of the BAA? And I'm like, isn't that for Boston elites and like Joan Benoit and like, you know, world <laughs> champions and he goes, no, no, I'll, I'll get you in. So I'm like, well, okay. yeah, I mean, sure. So I went to this interview and the other board member was a guy named Frank Porter, who's passed away several years ago, but he was a Marine veteran. So when he found out I was a Marine veteran, they're like, you know, yeah, stamp stamp of approval. And I got in. So I used to joke that I was like the youngest and poorest at the time, um, member of the BAA, but the, the great thing about the membership and, and all the, the stuff you do, and I, my last Boston I ran was 2010, but I, I volunteer every year. Okay. But right? the same guys every year. I was, I was 100 yards from the finish line when the bombs went off, and I was right there. Oh. I was the, so the finish line is right by the library, and it, I was at the corner of Boylston and Dartmouth, just like less than probably 75 or 80 yards away from first bomb. Um, that's a whole another issue, another, another show. But um, I get an invitational entry every year to the marathon.
0: Okay, so
1: I, for the last 10 years, I've been able to give that entry away to a friend, or a friend of a friend, or now to people who are running on behalf of our foundation. So Roberto Juarez from Southern California, who's um, a very dear friend of a dear friend of mine, much like Leia is, um, is running finally, he was supposed to run last year, canceled, supposed to run in September, canceled the virtual, supposed to we run in April canceled so on October 11th Roberto is on the fourth try he's finally doing the real Boston marathon and the next okay. April so it was the third Monday in April I think next year's the 18th maybe so Leah Goldstein is running on our behalf we have someone for 2023 already and someone for 2024 already oh, so okay. the next so my next four entries are taken You got it if you want to take 2025, 20, it's all yours. <laughs> <Like> if, <you're, laughs> if you and your wife want to do the Boston Marathon on behalf of the foundation, of course, you got to do some yeah. fundraising. That's the caveat. But, but yeah, so for the next four years, we have people lined up that I am able to give, and then my invitational entry to because I'm never running one again. Trust, trust me.
0: Yeah, trust and me. I'm not either. So yeah, I'm I'm dammer. done. I'm done. Yeah. 2010
1: was it? So, but that's so that's kind of this long convoluted story of how I got involved with the race. And I've been. I've been involved with the marathon now for 17 years as a runner or volunteer. So okay. it's, it's my, my favorite day of the year yeah. and April 15th, 2013 was the worst day of my life. Yeah. So yeah. it was, uh, it was awful, but, but. but that was eight years ago, which is hard to believe. Um, but yeah, we, we were very fortunate. I'm very fortunate to begin with, to be involved in that organization. Because I've had incredible friendships and and opportunities come out of that, and now to, to kind of come full circle, right? I mean, someone took the time to kind of mentor me, and now I'm able to give back um, and do this with the foundation and have the Boston Marathon involved as well. So it's very special. That's um, great. Yeah, it's very That's lucky. Great. Very lucky.
0: So what do you have? So what's on the horizon? You know, um, moving forward, um, what do you guys? kind of need help with or what It what's your your mission now moving forward
1: well as soon i mean we're i'm just i call the irs every day basically
0: mm-hmm. to
1: find out the status and like pending pending pending. so as soon as we get 501 c3 status we'll actually be able to fundraise in earnest okay which will make a big difference but right now we have we have an online shop we're selling t-shirts and stuff we're doing a quarterly pro- oh this is kind of cool so I've always been involved in creative writing I'm I, above average. I, I love it. It's like my release, right? Mm-hmm. I and mean, I'm not Hemingway, but I, I enjoy that. But we're doing, we're, we're publishing a quarterly uh, poetry journal with submissions from veterans from around the world. So we had our first one come out a couple months ago. Our next one comes out in August. And that's all on our website. Um, and that's really fun. Like we don't, we don't make that much money. We haven't made much money from it yet. We just had the first volume. But it's such, I don't care if we make $5 or 5000 from sales of the journals. Mm-hmm. What I care about is veterans being creative and expressing their thoughts and sending these really heartfelt submissions. I mean, we've had, you know, Marv Levy, the former coach of the Buffalo Bills, mm-hmm. uh, NFL Hall of Famer, he's 94 years old. He found out about us and sent in some poems. Uh, so we have an NFL Hall of Famer who's the Army Air Corps in World War II. We have Gulf War veterans. We have Vietnam veterans, Korean War veterans. We have people who are never in a the theater of operations in a war who are veterans sending us these poems that are just that just rip their heart out you know so that's that's one of our outreach efforts we we produced a music video and song that's on itunes and youtube it's kind of a call to action end homelessness um we're moving forward with the marathon campaign marathon campaigns next four years to raise funds and we're going to um well this is kind of this is a new idea but we're thinking about i have a lot of restaurant business experience i was in that you know worked for a family business in boston for many years we're thinking about since it's louisiana opening of veterans employed po boy stand or shop where we okay. can get vet- veterans who are both homeless or indigent or in a transitionary living uh, situation and open up a sandwich shop and employ veterans and generate funds that way so we have all these great ideas that we're going to bring it fruition, but it's it's again we're very new, mm-hmm. we're very young, and but the future is bright. We have we have a great team, and again, like it's it's really. And I always joke with people on the board of directors, and the, the officers. Like, there's not much to do right now. The important thing is to come up with ideas and com- and continually like question the direction we're going, and okay. really focus on employment and transitional site daily site and long term care site. And what can we do to make that happen? And that's what and another thing that's great. um, We just found um, coach Allie who's a marathon trainer in New York. She's, she's huge on social media. And she's going to be doing um, videos and, and advice for our marathon runners on social media, which is huge. And then our spokesperson, uh, Hannah Romer has taken over TikTok. Like I didn't know, I didn't know about TikTok two months ago. And Hannah is a Marine veteran. Her husband's a Marine Corps officer. They're based in Northern California. They have two kids. Uh, she's amazing. So she's been blowing it up. Okay. And she does, you know, so she has, I gave her all my usernames and passwords. I'm like, go, she's <laughs> going and to do, do and she's brilliant. So, so we have this family of, of people who are really helpful and want to get involved. And, you know, again, I'm not trying to be altruistic. I'm not trying to promise the moon to anyone there's going to be setbacks. Right. And that's why I love the name of your show. I mean, we, we are really the whole grit thing, the rolling up your sleeves and, and doing our best. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah. You know, we're going to fail some things. some we're going to succeed. Some things will work. Some things won't, but if we keep our overall focus and drive, I, I can see good things in the next five to 10 years. So that when, by the time I'm ready to, to die, this can be my, you know the fourth legacy of my, Right, the right the fourth part right? of my life's right. Yeah. So I'm not. I, you know, I didn't peak at 17. I can peak at yeah. now yeah. doing this. So that's God. I just talked for 10 minutes. I apologize. Well, but that's the biggest thing. Worst, is, worst is, guest is, ever.
0: Yeah, that's the biggest thing is is starting. You know, people are so scared to start because when you do start, it doesn't just rip and you become, you know, popular with a million followers. And the, they're scared and they're, to fail. Your people are scared to fail right. and. And when you do fail and you are going to fail and you are going to mess up and you're, you know, and that's one of the biggest things is fail fast, fail fast, learn, go on. And, and people are so hard on themselves. My, myself also. And, um, but
1: you beat beat yourself up.
0: I do beat beat myself up and my wife's like, you got to be a little bit easier on yourself. And I was like, I know, but, but I don't like to, nobody likes to mess up, but you do. It doesn't matter who you are and, and move forward. And, um, I think, I think you guys are doing a wonderful thing and, uh, I I wish you all the success. Um, how do people find you, um, that want to get involved or want to help out with your organization?
1: Yeah, we, we would love, um, and it doesn't have to be financial. It could be suggestions. It can Mm -hmm. be ideas. Uh, we want to be kind of a clearinghouse for ideas to help veterans in need and, and others in peril. It's not just for veterans. You know, it's a it's a big picture thing that we're gonna fine tune and, and find our niche. Um, our website is tcffv.org, So the Cuddy family foundation for veterans.org, but just the first letters. And then everything on social media is the same. It's tcffv.org. dot okay. org. And we're on TikTok, we, we're on Twitter, but we don't really do that much. We're we're on Instagram. And growing the tick blowing up with hannah <laughs> hannah Romer is, i mean she's a stud she's unreal and uh hilarious too but she, she gets it she's one of these people yeah. that you know, gets it and um but yeah our website has the video on the first page that we produced these two we talk about the power of social media these two singers one is an african-american soul type singer from new Orleans. Yeah. The other is, uh this white you know caucasian country singer from nashville they came together they met the day before I wrote the lyrics, of course, they're brilliant. But we, we of you know, the, the Gianna uh, wrote the, the music for it. And it's just incredible. Their voice is harmonized. And so that really was the first step. Okay. And it's not like we're making a lot of revenue from it. And that's not really even the point. The point but is a,
0: awareness, right?
1: Awareness. Yeah. yeah. So that's what we're kind of geared toward. But I, I appreciate being here today. This has been awesome.
0: Yeah, man. Thank you. I wish you guys all the success, and uh, I will talk at you later. Appreciate it. Thank you, All right. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Beyond Grit with your host, me, Robert Young. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. Tell somebody about it. You can find this podcast on all major podcast platforms, and be sure to tune in every Wednesday for another exciting success story of somebody going beyond grit. Until then, take care.